Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now with New School host Erwin Keller and Chaz Knoll in a sparkling and thought-provoking conversation about sexuality, identity, culture, and glitter. Welcome to the New School at Commonweal. This is the Sonoma County series. I'm Erwin Keller, and I am so delighted to have all of you here tonight for this conversation with Chaz Knoll. And uh, those of you at home can't see who's in the room, but um, it's a lovely group of people who have... Um, I think more um, depth in the fairy community than I do. Um, and so I'm going to be the, the eager learner tonight. Um, but first, I'd like to introduce Chaz with his CV, um, and not just what I know about him personally, which I probably won't tell. <laughs> well, maybe later. We'll see. So Chaz has been involved with the Radical Fairies. For more than 30 years, he's played many roles in fostering queer community, including being a facilitator of sex magic workshops internationally, organizing West Coast fairy gatherings since the 1980s, and creating fairy communities in unlikely places, including Beijing. We'll hear a bit bit about that tonight. In Chaz's view, the fairies are not a subculture, but a superculture, transcending national and cultural boundaries and finding commonality and richness in the gay outsider experience. As a caregiver and close friend of gay rights pioneer Harry Hay, he collaborated and organized many gatherings uh, and events with radical fairies in Southern California. He co-wrote and edited FDR, a Los Angeles-based magazine for radical fairies. He also manages Saratoga Springs Retreat Center in Lake County, catering to LGBTQ and alternative groups. Let's welcome Chaz. We are all gussied up for this night. I should, I should say that it is Big Franny's 81st birthday today. And, and, um, and she stayed up all night creating this talisman for this talk. This is the talisman of this talk. So who knows, if we do a heart circle later, we have our, we have our talisman. And also, I can't help but notice that you and I are both bedecked in skirts tonight. Yeah, why, why is that, Erwin? Why are we wearing skirts? I'm just, I'm just curious about the, the camouflage poodle skirt. It, well, it's interesting you ask about this. And, and I have to thank uh, William Gersten because he, at the last minute, he loaned me this camouflage skirt. <laughs> uh, there's a whole history behind these skirts that, by the way, I just want to acknowledge that in, uh, I think, you know, besides my 30 years of being in the ferries, in this room, I sense another maybe three or 400 years of experience, and it's really nice to see uh, a lot of old faces and and some new ones. Um, but I, th- these these skirts they came about in um, well, I'm going to back up for a second because there's one thing that has uh, sort of been lost over the last ten years, and maybe you've sensed this. Uh, it's the term. You know, we, we have the, a slide up on the, on the uh, screen there that says radical fairies. And we, uh, over the years, we've sort of lost the term radical or it sort of fell away. And I want to bring that word back because it was really important. Uh, it was important to the founders, Harry Hay, especially who uh, coined that term in conjunction when they planned the first gathering back in 1979. But radical, coming from um, meaning of the root, 
and and not like a radical like um, the weather the weatherman or something like that, mm-hmm. but more like we're 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 returning to the root of who we are as queer men as 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 radical fairies that there is a distinct characteristic to who we are and that radical is a reminder of that that we are true that at our core we are something unique and different and so but that radical also had a very strong political connotation and harry uh, it, it's, uh, um, as another aside there's a, a interesting story where today just recently over the last couple of days there was a discussion on one of the uh, social media sites about uh, the political consciousness and awareness of fairies today as opposed to fairies like 30 years ago. And there was an assumption that the uh, kind of new found awareness around race and culture wasn't really, that we didn't have that same consciousness uh, back in the 80s or 70s. And I asked a couple of my peers about that because my memory was that we, we actually did have a fair amount of, we thought about those things and talked about those things quite a bit. Uh, and they concurred. And it reminded me of Harry, who was really uh, obsessed with that. Uh, and his, uh, I'm going to too many. <laughs> no, this is great. We'll, we'll, we'll tease some of this out as we go on. Okay. But... Uh, uh, he was very passionate about the idea that um, the radical fairies be diverse. He was very passionate about the fact that it not be a bunch of white men, that it be cross-cultural. And this idea that you mentioned about superculture, that he recognized this, that not only were fairies present in uh, the USA, but they were present in other countries. They were present within the USA, within other cultures, within the uh, American Indian culture, within the African American culture, within the Muslim culture. They were always present. And so, and he believed that very strongly. In fact, he knew it in his heart. And it was just a, a bit of a struggle to, const- to continually seek that out and have that represented in the fairies. So th- there was a keen awareness of that. And so, the idea that we were radical also meant that we were political. And I remember many times sitting down with Harry and with others and talking about how we were going to fight against the machine, against the machine of uh, racial oppression, of sexual oppression. uh, And uh, one of the distinct memories I have, which was a frustration of his, uh, in the 80s, if, I don't know if you re- any of you remember Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Coalition. Uh, and there was an idea that, you know, in the era of Reagan, that if we all joined forces under this grand umbrella, this Rainbow Coalition, that we could defeat or uh, prevail over these uh, uh, conservatives who were running the country. Uh, and... Harry felt very strongly that we as gay people needed to be part of that coalition. And he met with Jesse Jackson, and Jesse Jackson, you know, with some, took a little bit of convincing to include these radical fairies, because radical fairies were kind of outlandish, they wore dresses in the wrong places, they were, you know, clashing colors, whatever, they were, you know, not always the prettiest thing to look at from a... a, a a straight or a heteronormative perspective. Oh, a slide, it just went up, just so you know. 
Oh, okay, yeah. So this is the sissy boy. Thank you for. Uh, there's. Um, this is an example, and this this particular man, uh, his uh, fairy name was Butterfly or Walter Blumoff, and he was a good friend, and he was uh, one of an exemplar of, of fairies of how to embody being a proud sissy boy, and yet be this remarkable man. I mean, he's clearly a man, but in in body and how he represented himself. Uh, he never, you know, hewed to that typical masculine definition. And for Harry, and for, well, back to this idea that we were radical, um, that the, the political was an important component. So we participated in demonstrations. We, we joined with the... And now I remember the skirts. Yes. This was 1991 <laughs> Gulf War. Protests. Exactly. So when, in, when the first Bush uh, invaded Iraq, and you remember the, he invaded Iraq because uh, Saddam Hussein invaded uh, Kuwait. And there was a big anti-war movement at the time. Uh, and what the idea, it was Harry's idea to come up with these camouflage skirts, and they, they weren't quite as glamorous as this, uh, this is a little more bedecked, and his first camouflage skirt was rather long. It was ankle length, you know, a little more proper. Uh, but it was just pure camouflage. But the idea was to reclaim these colors, these earth colors, reclaim the patterns of the earth, and uh, give it a new definition to really challenge the, the assumptions of our society about what war is and what camouflage is and those, those connotations. And the skirt itself is a kind of anti-camouflage when worn by gay men. Exactly. Uh, I'm wondering if we might want to drop back and just do a little bit of exposition for people at home, because we have a room of people who know everything, understand everything you're talking about. But let's go back, maybe we have a slide of Harry Hay. Uh, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about Harry and his background with Mattachine and what brought him to creating the Radical Fairies. So... <laughs> I, I hope I can synopsize that pretty quickly because there's a lot of information there. Uh, and and the, the, the real authority is, is Stuart Timmons, who uh, is still around and, and uh, recently had a stroke and had another health setback more recently. So I, I'm just putting a plug for his book, which was the uh, authoritative, um, The Trouble with Harry Hay, uh, the biography. Uh, and... What's interesting about this book is it's quite thick, and the vast majority of it is about his life before the fairies. It's only the last chapter that really gets into uh, his the, the origin origin of the fairies. Um, but Harry was a, a founder of the Mattachine Society, which was uh, generally agreed as the first gay rights group in the United States by advocating for gay rights, and he. Uh, really coined some early concepts and took the idea that gay people were a distinct minority and made that commonplace. Before that time, we were individuals who were just like everyone else except we were sick. So he created the idea and made... In, in fact, there was a... Um, uh, a, a couple of court cases that came along that kind of supported that, that came out of the idea 
that was spread among gay people at that time that we are in fact a minority and deserve the same rights as everyone else uh, and, and should not be persecuted because of, of these other perceptions. So he created the Mattachine Society, which unfortunately he kind of got booted out of after a few years. Well, in part for being a communist, right? Because he, he, he saw the connections between different kinds of oppression and that he was trying to bring gay people to an understanding of themselves as part of this fabric of, of people who were being oppressed and suppressed. Um, and so being connected to the communist movement was very important to him for those reasons as well, um, that the gay revolution was part of the people's revolution. But at a certain point, um, at a certain point, Madish, the Mattachine Society moved more center. And in the 1950s, Harry was a liability as a communist. Yeah, it wasn't just that he was a communist, but he was also difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he, was, he could be quite disagreeable, and he had challenges throughout every single organization he was in. There's, you know, a lot of this book kind of documents his, uh, his arguments and altercations and how he, uh, even in his marriage, uh, you know, he was married to a woman, he had two daughters, and uh, he became estranged from his daughters, and so there was, he had a lifetime of, of, of difficult relationships uh, but you're right about his, he was very passionate about the concepts and principles of the, communists, of the Communist Party. And in fact, he carried some of those principles into the fairies as well. Like what? The, the whole idea, and Harry would often talk about, you know, it, I, we're in January 2017, right? So, and we're facing the prospect of a, an administration coming in that who knows is what's going, what they're going to do. But one thing is certain, there will be a Supreme Court that's more hostile towards uh, gays and lesbians. And so a lot of our rights, as we take for granted, may not be there in a few years. And that was his point, was that he would say that things can change quickly. So even during the 70s and 80s, when it seemed like we were making great progress, he would always admonish us and say, you don't know what's going to happen. So th this idea that the Communist Party, one way they protected themselves was to have lots of different cells that didn't know about the other cells. So that if any one cell was infiltrated or busted by the feds, they couldn't betray the other cells. And so the fairies, by design, the idea is well, there will be many fairy circles around the country, but they will be completely autonomous and not communicate with each other by, you know, they will, but there was an idea that there wouldn't be a, a governing structure. That we, Mattachine was structured that way initially as well. It was, exactly, yeah. So after Mattachine, then Harry, um, some people say he kind of disappeared into the woodwork, but in fact, he was a restless guy and he was always writing or always pursuing things and, and doing research. Um, he did meet his partner, John Burnside, in 1961, uh, and they were together for 39 years. Um, and John played a, a, a wonderful role for Harry. In fact, he was a moderating influence in many ways, because uh, Harry, uh, and I think he needed that. <laughs> but uh, in, the, in the 60s, he was definitely involved in the civil rights movement, uh, and in the, the 70s, he and John had lived in um, New Mexico. 
and again, he was doing more research with the Hopi in, uh, Indian tribes and understanding some of the uh, um, American Indian rituals uh, that were happening. Uh, it was also during the 70s that he started to communicate with uh, Mitch Walker and Don Kilhefner uh, around and in 78, they actually lived together for a while with the idea of actually uh, uh, creating an event or a, a retreat of sorts for gay men that would involve spirit. Uh, and they recognized, the, uh, or they talked, and they were very, very bonded by the idea that gay men were A, unique and different unto themselves, and B, that they needed alternatives to the gay bars or the traditional avenues for, for meeting each other, that there was this spiritual uh, link or spiritual undertone or spiritual characteristic of who we were that was common and needed to be nurtured and needed to be discovered and needed to be uh, researched and, and kind of brought to the surface. So they came up with the idea for doing this uh, radical fairy gathering in 1979. And they had the first gathering in Benson, Arizona at a, um, uh, an ashram, uh, a beautiful place with a big pool. They uh, were kind of freaked out because they thought, oh, we need at least 25 people to get there, you know, to break even to pay for this thing. Well, they had 220 people show up. And any clue how people found out about it and what people were looking for? Well, that's this pre-internet. <laughs> and it was pretty remarkable. So one of the people was, uh, was Don Kilhefner. And Don Kilhefner was a, a veteran of uh, Gay Liberation Front. And he was a renowned organizer and a uh, budget master. Um, and he knew how to get the word out. And he had connections through GLF. But what they did is, is Harry and uh, principally Harry wrote a call called uh, a call uh, for, for a spiritual gathering of radical fairies. Hmm. Um, a one-page, eight-and-a-half-by-fourteen sheet. And they sent this out to all the gay bookstores around the country. And they pinned it up in the cafes where they could. But it was basically, that's how you got the word out pre-internet. And people came from all over the country uh, to this and completely surprised them. The maximum capacity of the ashram was 75 and they squeezed everyone in very easily. <laughs> um, and, and everyone had a great time. And, and from that, immediately, there were offshoots of other gatherings. They had uh, subsequent national gatherings uh, in 1980 and 1981 and 82. But almost immediately, there were you know, uh, different groups that were forming around the country. Uh, and it spread to um, Tennessee and uh, to the East Coast, uh, and up and down uh, the West Coast. Tell us a little bit about gatherings. What, what, are, what is signature of Radical Fairy gatherings? What makes it different from any other kind of retreat you might go to? Well, I'm going to betray my age here because I'm going to talk about gatherings as, as I have known them in over my 30, 30, 30 X years. More, too many to count, but... Uh, so a, a gathering is called and arranged by the people who uh, are going to be there. And 
much, uh, our, our experiences with conferences are often that there's a, an official conference organizer and there's a plenary and, you know, there's all this particular structure that kind of governs how it works. But in a, a fairy gathering, it's, the intention is, again, that it's completely self-driven. And the gatherings that I first went to in the, in the 80s were basically we found a, a, a spot in the desert or in the, uh, a park or something and we call, you know, put out a paper call and, and, and uh, send it out to all our friends. Uh, you know, it, we had mailing parties. Can you imagine folding pieces of paper and putting stamps on envelopes and uh. <laughs> um, and, and sending them out to our friends and then uh, seeing who would show up? And we'd have to build a kitchen, you know, and dig latrines for the for the effluent. Uh, and then whoever showed up was in charge of making it happen. So we didn't, and, and, and the reason I kind of say that this is the old days, what had happened in the old days, I think fairy gatherings have, invol- have evolved. Uh, there are now different versions of them, and there are uh, uh, a lot of people here in front of us from the Billies, which is, an, I call an offshoot or an off-growth from, from the uh, fairies. And they've developed a, a wonderful mechanism that is, you know, surprisingly, they have three meals a day that are on time. You know, <laughs> People, the Billy, the Billies, the Billy Club have been referred to um, as radical fairies with wristwatches. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always call them the flannel shirt fairies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the. the after the, when the gathering is happening, I think that the common characteristics are that you have a lot of people there who are enjoying each other's company and there's a lot of freedom and it's fairly unstructured. People may call different workshops, may organize something on um, men and masculinity or politics or something, or it might be more overt sexuality. Uh, there, there could be a, a workshop on how to masturbate better or giving a better blowjob or something like that. Um, so there's a, quite a diversity, or it might be arts and crafts, uh, or, or a hike, or uh, something on eth- ethnobotany or something. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of diversity in what happens. But there's, there's so, okay, I, I think what a lot of people here will recognize is when I say the term heart circle. And that is, for a lot of people, that's a core element of gatherings. But it wasn't always so. Uh, the heart circle is an is a invention after the first few years of, of the fairy gatherings. Uh, when the gatherings first happened, there was something called the great circle, which was every day they, all the uh, participants in the gathering would, uh, would assemble in a circle. And I, I think we've seen some of the pictures of some of those circles. But it would be a combination of uh, somebody's political screed. It could be announcements, uh, and in a combination with somebody's uh, relating a, a heart share of some kind or some kind of wound, uh, or relating some something that happened to them that was especially painful. Uh, and so there were many very powerful circles. But what happened was people recognized that there was a difference between the announcements and the political screeds and those heart shares. And so 
the suggestion was made after a few years to create uh, a different circle within the gathering that was called a heart circle. And the heart circle, which is something I personally value more than anything else, more than any other characteristic, and I think a lot of people share that of a gathering, that it means more than... If I go to a gathering and the only thing that happens is a heart circle, I'm very happy. Uh, and the heart circle is a powerful tool for us. It's intended to be leaderless. Uh, it's completely uh, empowers each individual to speak from the heart. Uh, and the way it works is we, we have uh, a talisman or an object or a talking stick. And that is passed from hand to hand. And each person who holds the stick can speak from their heart, and we like to ask them to speak from the here and now. So it's more like, what's going on with your emotional state right now? Or what's, what are you feeling in your heart? And that they, they share that. And it's optional. You don't have to speak. But what we find is then there's profound sharing. There's profound magic in hearing each other's shares. And I say that's with intention because the magic happens in witnessing. It's not just talking. It's in the hearing and really listening to each other and witnessing what's in, our, what's in each other's hearts. In my own experience, I mean, every, practically everyone in this room has been to heart circles. Um, in my own experience, I, th that's my experience as well, that you know, there's all sorts of nerves about speaking and there's all sorts of the distractions of am I speaking from the heart or am I just telling a story that's well rehearsed. But the witnessing has a purity to it, um, the attentiveness of it. And one of the rules of heart circle is no crosstalk. Right? You can't respond. You can't say, well, hang on, I have an idea of what you should do. And, um, or the same thing happened to me. And so you you sit there and you have all of these reactions, and and you have to let go of them. But then inevitably, in my experience, inevitably someone during the course of the heart circle will end up saying exactly what was in my heart as I was listening. Um, and I've never had a heart circle experience where that didn't happen. And we have this way of acknowledging that in the fairies, um, and it's it's cute, but. Uh, uh, oftentimes, and I love the way Harry used to explain it. So instead of clapping, we hiss. And for a lot of people, it's, it's kind of uh, a jarring at first because a hiss is the kind of a, dis a sound of disapproval. But for uh, these fairy circles and for the billies, it's it's a sound of resounding approval. And the reason we hiss is um, because clapping is kind of loud and disruptive. But what, as Harry used to say, well, usually we're doing something else with our hands at the time, so. <laughs> <laughs> so the heart circle has, has been exported. Um, there are lots of organizations, lots of kinds of gatherings that, that use the technology of the heart circle. Um, it's, it's drawn from the radical fairies in general, or is it sort of a, a synchronicity that this kind of technology was needed in lots of places and appeared? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't give 
uh, Harry all the credit for it. I mean, he sat in circles with the Hopis. Uh, there was a, a, a lot of circles were happening in different venues in the 70s and in the 1700s, you know. I, I often think about it from the perspective that... Um, uh, well, let me say this. We, we, in Heart Circle, we, we feel uh, a, a privileged kind of view of each other. And we, feel we, we reveal ourselves to the group in a very um, you know, authentic way. And that's, that's a very privileged perspective. You're listening to a conversation with New School host Erwin Keller and Chaz Knoll. But there are there other organizations, there are other groups that do the same thing. Uh, I, you know, as, as shocking as it may seem, there, there are lots of Christian organizations that have similar setups and, and circles where they will do the same kind of sharing, and they feel that exact same kind of bond and the, the strength of that kind of connection and, and witnessing. Um, so it, it, it runs across the board. So I don't think the technology is exclusive to the fairies. There are certain characteristics or attributes to it. The, leader, the leaderless quality, that it's intentionally, there are no facilitators or leaders. Normally, I mean, we've ad, ad, adapted that in some cases because it makes sense to have a facilitator start and end it. Um, the whole idea of the talisman is, is not specific to the fairies, but that in combination with some of the other characteristics, I think makes it a fairly unique or a, a unique uh, attribute. Of yeah, and certainly the, the fairies have some very interesting choices of talisman. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, the, you know, we, we called this talk today. Some, we went up and back and we ended up advertising it with two different names, but one was redeeming the sissy and one was unleashing the sissy, which are kind of different but I think both those things happen in the fairies. Um, and I, th I think even those of us who weren't involved with the fairies had some experience of that related to the fairies. So for instance, the first time that I became, that I, I saw fairies um, face to face was um, in 1987 at the National March on Washington. And I was doing uh, legal observing for the Supreme Court action. Were any, anybody here that was at the March yeah. in 87? There. And um, and at the Supreme Court, uh, this was right after the a year after the um, decision in Bowers versus Hardwick, um, which is the decision that said that it it, it is okay to um, make sodomy illegal, to make consensual same sex sex illegal in this country, and um, and there was a tremendous anger, and there was this uh, massive civil disobedience at the Supreme Court. And people would, uh, there would be affinity groups that would go and sit down on the steps of the Supreme Court until the police carried them away. And then sort of the next wave of affinity group would wash up on the steps. And that's the first time I saw the radical fairies because all of a sudden there was this group of men and they were in flannels and leather jackets and flowers in their hair and skirts and combat boots. And I, I was, my jaw dropped because it, it was the first time that I saw people who were um, presenting, who were expressing themselves in the ways that I always felt 
um, in the ways that I always felt like I didn't belong in all these men's clothes. And it would feel funny to me to just be in women's clothes, but that somehow they were um, finding the way they they were honoring their their sissies. They were finding the ways in which they didn't fit into the boxes on the forms. And they were expressing it all in how they dressed. And there was something so fierce about it mm. and something so delicate about it and um and humorous. The 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 humor of how they were dressing was so powerful. Um, their ability to sort of rob anyone else of the ability to point at them and call them fags or call them sissies or whatever because they were owning it in such a proud and powerful way. So that has affected me in my life. Um, and the fact is that here at the synagogue, I will sometimes lead from the pulpit in a skirt. Mm. Um, and that is directly because of my experience with radical fairies. So I was hoping maybe you would tell us a little bit about your story and um, what the what the radical fairies did for you, and how you saw um, how you saw people expressing and contemplating their gender and their sexuality, who they were through the radical fairies. Yeah, there's a lot of places I can go with that. And uh, what struck me as you were talking was uh, a personal, uh, kind of deeply personal experience for me, which was, um, I mean, as an aside, Harry always talked about or frequently mentioned the idea of our uh, embracing our inner sissy boy uh, um, or letting, letting him out, actually. He would encourage us to uh, really um, identify our inner sissy and just let him out and let him play. Uh, and I remember first hearing that and kind of being, well, I'm not a sissy, kind of, you know, just instinctively, you know, because it had that negative connotation. But it, it took a while for me to embrace that. And I, I, I remember, again, this is kind of back to the whole existential aspect of it all. But uh, when I was 10 years old, my, uh, I had two older sisters, and they were three and six years older. And my 13-year-old sister was having a sleepover with all her girlfriends. And um, I was, you know, they were down in the family room and giggling and, and shouting. And, and uh, I uh, was down there with them. And, and at one point, I would, I, they had to fold out the uh, sofa bed, you know, folded out. And I jumped up and down on, on the sofa bed and said, I feel dainty. I feel dainty. And they looked at me in horror. <laughs> They said, because they, they just saw this boy being in, an out and out sissy. And I, I instantly recognized that. I instantly recognized that look of like, oh, Jesus, what have I done? And I never, of course, I, I suppressed that for many, many years. And so I had a you know, similar kind of epiphany with the fairies. Uh, I, my first experience was in 83 and, and there was a way that um, when I, I'm thinking about some specific fairies and, and how they would dress, and we might call it gender or we might uh, have different terms for it, but it was 
authentic expression of who they were and all their complexity and all their variety, that that sissy came out with the masculinity, with the kind of nerdiness or with the artistic qualities that, that they had. And it, it was just so beautiful and inspiring uh, to me. And it, it actually made me, uh, because even though I'm wearing a dress, I hardly wear uh, drag or, or this kind of clothing at gatherings. Uh, but it, just seeing that also made me comfortable, like, oh, this is who I am. I dress in kind of drab jeans and T-shirts most of the time. Um, and it made me comfortable with just being that and not feeling the, the need to conform um, to an artificial standard. Um, so, yeah, and... That first gathering in, in, was at a place called Brightonbush, which is in Oregon, in a beautiful setting. Um, and I had been in a group in my teens called Liberal Religious Youth, which was a kind of a euphemism for teenagers going out and doing drugs and having sex with each other. <laughs> um, part of a, the, the Unitarian Church, and I just found out also the... Uh, um, not just the Unitarians. And so I had some experience with progressive settings and, uh, you know, kind of radical thinking. And, and, and so that part, when I, when I first encountered the fairies, which that is represented there, the, this progressive uh, kind of perspective, um, and that deeply resonated. But it was the heart circles that really blew me away. It's like, oh, my God. There are 60 people in this room, and they're sharing the deepest, darkest things, and they're wailing and crying and, and laughing and joyful and angry and screaming and, and all those things. And it was like, ah, this was very real for me. It just beca- there was a level of honesty there that... I hadn't, I hadn't encountered before, and I was immediately attracted and, and sold on it. And it was, I went to one more gathering after that in Southern California where I met Harry and John, uh, among uh, quite a few other people, and I immediately became, became an organizer for gatherings and have been organizing gatherings ever since. So let me ask you about that. Um, I'm interested in some of your international work on that front. So you talked about how Harry saw something essential in gay men he, that he was able to identify that um, he thought is, is cross-cultural, that there would be some way in which we could identify with each other, even though we grow up in very different cultures from our experience of being gay men. Has that been borne out in your experience? And uh, for, tell us a little bit where you've worked with fairy communities and, and have you felt that to be somewhat true? Yeah, thank you for the, that prompt. Uh, I, I have been, again, moved to tears. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story, um, and, and I've absolutely found that to be the case. Uh, I have been to China a few times now with the idea that, oh, it was the idea that will fairies work in China? Such a different culture. So different, I mean... And the whole value system, is it, could it possibly work there? Uh, and so I, a year ago was the first time I went with 
the idea of specifically sitting down with a group of gay men and doing a heart circle. Um, and the, I went to Beijing and went to the, it's called Destination, it's the largest gay bar. They have gay bars in Beijing. Four floors, multiple dance floors, very large, and there's a twin of it across the street, so the boys like to dance. But they had uh, some meeting rooms, and I walked into this meeting room, and there were 30 gay young, young gay men there, uh, one trans man. And uh, it was all in Chinese, but I had a translator. But they sat with me for five hours straight, doing sharing from their hearts. And what they shared was the same things that we hear. It was about a sense of isolation, a sense of estrangement from family, a sense of love lost, a sense of hopelessness about finding the right man, a sense of you know, balancing their lives, a sense of joy at finding other people in that room. Uh, it, so that was, I, there was a moment I just walked in and I felt that energy of those men and I, I started to weep a little bit just recognizing that same vibration that we have here in so many different places. And I've walked into rooms now in, well, certainly in Canada, but also in Europe uh, and in France and Germany where the same thing happens. And people from all kinds of countries. And uh, one other story is um, there's a young man from uh, Lebanon, a Muslim man, Arab, from Arab, uh, authentic Arab descent. And um, he, we, we do these workshops called Sex Magic. Uh, and uh, just as a brief introduction, Sex Magic is a uh, more intense kind of seven-day-long heart circle. Uh, it's, we sit in heart circle with each other with the idea that we can explore deeper levels of intimacy with each other and then even mix in a physical level of intimacy as well. So it's not an orgy, although it could be. <laughs> um, and in fact, many sex magic workshops have had very little sex. But it is a deeply, uh, or it is a very deep explore, exploration of our emotional connections and our emotional states of being with each other and, and developing a level of familiarity uh, in those workshops. And I often hear in those workshops, people say, I have never told anyone this. And they reveal such deep things about themselves. So it's, a, again, a very privileged setting. But uh, what I was thinking about was that this young Arab guy who participated in that was deeply skeptical about the process. And he came, said he came from a background where men touching men was not a big deal. You know, it happened all the time. It was part of the culture, being affectionate. You know, he was a, kind of aghast at Western cultures because we never touch each other. We never hug or kiss each other. And this was the normal part of his, his upbringing. So he was kind of like, this will be a piece of cake. Well, it wasn't a piece of cake for him. It was but it was deeply moving, and he's going to come back, actually, and do another one shortly. Um, and this is another area that I just 
saw that, okay, this is a place where we can bring in the radical again. The idea of doing a sex magic workshop or a workshop that brings people together like this in Arab culture, in Chinese culture, in um, certainly in the African-American community, uh, in all of the different communities across the globe, to me, that's radical. It's powerful, the idea of bringing these men together, these people together. Uh, so do you find, it's, so within the U.S., say, or U.S. and Canada, um, has there been any change, any waning of the, uh, the intense need for rad radical fairy experience in a climate in which, say, we now have same-sex marriage, in which, you know, gay men are so much ostensibly more um, accepted than they were when Harry Hay created the radical fairies? in the 70s? Uh, I don't know the answer, really. I, I mean, my speculation is that, I mean, my automatic answer is no, there is definitely a need, perhaps more than ever. And I was remarking about this in, in face of the upcoming political climate, that the, the bond, the kind of sense of safety, the sense of belonging, the sense of validating our identities uh, is going to be more important than ever. Uh, to have these express these places to go and, and be ourselves and be feel safe and feel like we're not alone, uh, that that is really critical uh, uh, now. So it, there was a time when I not too long ago when I thought, oh yes, okay, the culture is evolving and and more and more people are are becoming self aware and and uh, enlightened about these kinds of things and maybe. Uh, the need for this kind of focused effort is is has, has diminished, um, and I I'm, I tend not to think that. I tend to think that, uh, especially with young people who are kind of um, hamstrung by the limits of social media, or you know the the addictions that we have with our devices, that there is a especially terrifying aspect or quality to the idea that we're going to sit down with a room full of strangers who aren't in my Facebook group, you know, who, who haven't been pre-screened or pre-selected. And the idea that we can, that I'm going to get to know every one of these people who aren't like politically, ideologically, culturally the same as me, you know, I think that's terribly exciting mm. for that to happen. I'm wondering if we might take a little bit of time to open up the conversation and uh, see what kinds of questions or what kinds of comments people have. How many people in the room, out of curiosity, have been to Radical Fairy gatherings around in Rad Radical Fairy land? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, a good minion, a good maybe even a dozen. Um, so maybe we can pose the question to the room of what drew you there um, and what did, it, what did it achieve for you or what did it change for you? And we have an audience mic here. So is there anyone that would like to share? This isn't heart circle sharing. This is on the record. Hi. <clears throat> Thanks. Um, the global fairy gathering that you did at Saratoga Springs was my first Radical Fairy event 
since the early 70s when I was running around Oregon. Um, I think what it showed to me was that I had been quite content with my gay freedom and liberation of the 70s and how it played out and got whacked in the 80s and all of that. But I didn't have a consciousness of the global scene that's available today. And I think that was the biggest shift it gave me was I can run around the Castro and celebrate and hold hands. And I was with my friend this morning and waking up and I went like, wow, we can sit here, we can smoke a joint, watch TV, catch the news and have sex and not worry about police breaking through the door. And I thought how incredibly privileged that makes us on gay issues in this particular part of the world. And I think it's kind of an observation and an acknowledgement of thanking you for getting those 18 or whatever people from around the world to come so that, among others, I could be awakened to the need that we have to have what I think you're talking about, which is a much more globally integrated uh, gay action kind of thing happening. Seems vague, and it seems there's a lot of individuals that have, uh, I would call like leaders in small cells, but there seems to be not enough to cohesiveness in it to make a powerful enough statement on the mm. global scene mm. at this point. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, you know, we do live in a time when well, we don't know what's going to be happening with us, but we do know that there are places in the world that have really heightened the criminal penalties for homosexuality, for gay sex. And um, what, the global gathering, for instance, what do you, what do you see as sort of the, the role of radical fairy gatherings in, in a, sort of um, absorbing and responding to um, that kind of movement worldwide? Well, Harry, thank you for that question and, and uh, for bringing up the Global Gathering, which we had in 2014. And we brought in people from 13 different countries um, and paid for their flights in many cases, but uh, these are people from Africa, from Uganda, Zimbabwe, Togo, uh, Cameroon, uh, Nigeria, Cuba, Brazil, Russia, and, and they all came in with some, at times, some horrific uh, young man from Burundi who uh, was almost killed uh, a number, on, a, on a number of occasions and witnessed people. So, I mean, because of their sexuality. So horrendous situations. And, and the, the, the strategy here, or the thinking has, has been, and Harry alluded to this idea that we're a bunch of cells, but there's not a cohesive structure to kind of take this to the next level. But in this case, the whole idea was, okay, we're bringing in, we're identifying potential activists or actual activists from their home countries. They're going to come here and experience something. And it, it's, they're going to experience, have their own experience, their own authentic experience, and their own way of expressing themselves. And I'll never forget how some of these young men and some of these people cried with joy and talked about how when they were walking around a gathering and just feeling the joy at being able to be themselves, to be a fully out queer person and not be afraid of being 
beat up or chased, to just really enjoy who they were and be completely validated for that. Now, that was very an ephemeral experience. It was only like 10 days or five days or three days, whatever they were around for. But the idea was to say, this is what's possible. This is what life can be like. This is what you need to take back to your community and in small steps, incremental steps, move that direction and know that we're here for you and know that we will go to you and, and help you if you want it. Uh, and in some cases, I'll offer asylum. And, and definitely, so a number of people have uh, uh, taken advantage of, um, of the opportunity to seek asylum here. You're listening to a conversation with New School host Erwin Keller and Chaz Knoll. Oren, you have a... <laughs> I was, Chad, I was wondering if you can reflect a little bit about the transformational qualities of the gathering, because you talk about it from one perspective about how it allows you to be your queer self, which is not allowed in the general culture, but I think there's something additional that's happening, and this goes back to Harry's reflections on the role of the two-spirited in the Native American community and other role of the gay man or the gender ambiguous person um, in a variety of cultures. And the gathering, while it allows you to be your true self, there's something specific about the true queer self that Harry Hay would have talked about that has its own unique quality. So when people come to a gathering, you often hear things like, I found my home. And I don't think it's only because it's a safe gay space go to the Castro, you're safe, but it's not necessarily your gay home. There's an additional component, there's additional element that is at a very deep soul level that happens at the gathering. And I'm not sure how to articulate it, but I know that Harry used to talk a lot about the essential role of that, the spiritual qualities that come along with being a gay man. And I think that part of what a gathering does, it nurtures that specific part of, of the homosexual. It really taps into that soul part and allows that to emerge. And that's part of the transformational experience. It's not as if the vision is to turn the whole world into a safe space. Well, that would be a wonderful thing. But there's something specifically about the gatherings, about the fairy movement, about Harry's vision that is at a deeper level, that is at a true soul grounded level where something happens. I think you articulated that pretty well. <laughs> Is that a question? <laughs> well, Harry did think that we were essentially different from other people. What, what was the... Oren was reminding me of something that Harry famously said about... Um, when, uh, when gay men are having sex, it is when they are most like straight people. What's the, is there, there's a continuation. Well, it, it, yes. How does it go? It goes... Um, most people think... Gays are the same uh, as, as straight people, except for what they do in bed. I say it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so his belief was that there was, there was something in, I mean, and his interest was gay men. He was not globally interested um, in lesbian women. Well, I just want to clarify, I mean, because there is, there is the presumption that he was somehow misogynist or whatever. And, and I, I'm raised to his defense once, and that... that is the uh, he would always answer that question by saying, "I support women, 
but I'm not a woman and I can't speak for them. And I, this completely resonates with me today in that I support all the different cultural diversity movements, but I cannot be that movement if I'm not one of them. Right. So Harry's interest was in what he could speak, what the experience he could speak to. And that was not just identifying who are the people who are like me, um, which he started doing, um, but what is it, not, is it, not only what is it that we have in common, but what do we have to offer? Um, you know, and that there had been, a, you know, in, in the Mattachine years, uh, maybe not, not speaking for Harry, but for sort of what Mattachine became, there was uh, when sort of the, the gay rights movement emerged, there was, this, there was this presumption that the problem was that we didn't have equal rights. If we had equal rights, we would be equal citizens, that right. we were all alike except that we don't have equal rights. And Harry's view was that, no, we're not all alike, um, and that um, different groups have different things to offer to the culture. Um, is this your view as well, and how do the radical fairies sort of help, um, help develop that, nurture that in, in people who participate? So Harry had the three questions. Who are we, where do we come from, and what are we here for? And this was the idea, again, this was to prompt the thinking that, okay, we, like, as Oren was articulating, that we are uniquely different. And just to touch back on what Oren said, that the idea of the, the, the gatherings is to really kind of identify uh, at a visceral level that transformation or, or to experience the transformation and really identify at a visceral level that we are uniquely different just by witnessing ourselves in the context of others and witnessing others in the context of ourselves. Um, I forgot your question. I, I think you got it. Um, there's a hand and a hand and a hand and a hand microphone. and a microphone. Uh, yeah, I'm Giuseppe and uh, I don't know if I have a comment, more observations and remembrances. Uh, my first gathering, I believe, was the third gathering, and I always get the year wrong, so I won't bring that up because someone will correct me. Um, but it was deeply personal for me, that first gathering and after. And I've been calling it the heart circle. Maybe it was the great circle. Uh, but I was so eager. I, I felt that I'd been out for quite a while and always struggled, didn't seem to fit in. And in that first uh, circle, I, I remember that first day sitting there for hours. And I've never probably done such a good job of listening <laughs> before or since. I, I so much wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, and then when it was my turn, I, I just let it all out. Um, I was often kind of, and maybe still am, kind of contrary. I didn't uh, always appreciate Harry's theories, uh, and I let him know that, and he forgave me. Um, <laughs> but the heart circle, I mean, when, you know, and I have my own sarcasms and irritations, but I like to tell people when they're sarcastic about the billies or the fairies that the heart circle, speaking for myself, uh, saved my life. 
I don't know if I'd be here today, but for that. And I totally connect that with the fairies. Um, and I've seen the magic, not only all over the Euro US, but in Europe. I remember going to the first Thai fairy gathering, Asian fairy gathering, and seeing some of our local fairies and billies have a temper tantrum and throw the talisman down and see these brand new Asian fairies quietly pick it up and keep going because wow. like those Chinese men, they so badly wanted to do this. That's my comment. Hi. Um, so you touched on what I wanted to share in terms of you were saying, I think you were asking, you know, how did your sort of first fairy experience affect you? And for me, it was that spiritual quality that for the first time I felt like this is sort of a like spirit. And something else you mentioned, which is interesting was, I guess you said, you know, now that it's becoming ostensibly more normalized maybe to have gay people in society, you know, is there a need for the fairies? And um, I can say for myself that I don't think I'm necessarily made to have something that looks exactly like a heterosexual marriage. And the fairies taught me that that's okay. But there's all these iterations of relationships that are filled with all kinds of love, and they look all kinds of different ways. And I think that that's something I uniquely get from the fairies that I don't get from more mainstream society. And I think it's wonderful that we now have the choice to get married if we want, but how wonderful it is to know that there's all kinds of other choices that I can make that also can lead to all kinds of you know, different wonderful manifestations. So, I mean, that's a huge gift. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. Thanks. Hi, I'm Chris. Um, also, hi. <laughs> also known as Eartha Madre. And um, my first fairy gathering was in the early 90s at Camp Shalom in LA, where I met Harry. And, um, but I want to speak to how we are different and unique and special. Um, I came upon um, an interview with Meli Doma Somme, who was an African shaman from West Africa. You might, some of you might know about called Gays Guardians of the Gates. You can just Google that, Gays Guardians of the Gates, Meli Doma Somme, and you'll find this amazing interview with him about how indeed we are unique and special and how he, when he found, came here and saw us, the gay men in, um, in the West, he realized we were gatekeepers, like in Dagra land, where the, the gatekeepers are the ones who are closer to spirit and who go to spirit and talk to them to find out how to help the village, to how to help the world. And um, he said, oh, you guys are the gatekeepers here. And you guys have, um, the only th problem is, is you're not doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not, you're not, um, because what happened, of course, was Christianization and colonization where everything about us and not just us, but all indigenous medicine was, was you know, either uh, killed or kiboshed, right? 
So um, all that we were left with to identify with was who we f mm. And um, so our gifts and purpose wasn't, what, it was, you know, traumatized out of us, really. So anyway, so that really, that totally changed my life. And I since have, have connected with him a lot, Melidoma. Um, and, you know, and they're still there in, in West Africa, you know, doing their, their gatekeeper thing. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we are um, different and unique and special. I know it sounds like special sounds like better than. Yeah. And I, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> so I don't, I don't tend to correct people when, when I say we're special. And I just know they're thinking, oh, you think you're better than. Well, but, you know, we're not, of course. We're just... Um, very special, very different from, and you're right about like, you know, I don't think the heteronormative um, um, structure of, of, of marriage is actually for, for us. I mean, some people are doing it, I think, because of the, you know, the traumatization of this culture, but um, anyways, so, but I'm also really, um, um, I'm, I'm wondering about the fairies, and I'm wondering about um, the youth. Because mm. there's not a lot of youth here, but hi, nice to see you. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure, and I haven't been involved with the fairies a lot um, in the last, you know, 20 years, really. I've isolated again, I kind of pulled back in, like that same kind of trauma thing. Um, and um, I wonder, you guys probably know better, um, about the um, so tell us a little bit about demographic of, of the youth and you know there's, then there's the whole like I go to CIS in San Francisco so there's all this you know gender queer and mm -hmm. and which is not gay men or lesbians it's like people who just oh I just want to be queer you know in whatever way which I guess is fine but I'm a little you know old school you know I like to suck that's what I like to do only thank you very much you know. <laughs> Not only. Just exaggerating a little bit, but. Good to know. <laughs> Just in case any of you are wondering. So let's, let's, so let's, try, to, let's try to hit both of these subjects. One is, what are the demographics? Are young people finding the radical fairies and, and, and being nurtured there? And the other question, um, oh, the other question is about sort of, we're now living in an age where there is a lot more exploration around gender and people are beginning to define themselves in much more fluid terms. I think in part because folks like the Radical Fairies have paved the way for people to be freer. But I'm curious sort of what, how, how that plays out nowadays in the Radical Fairies. It's a really good question because, uh, yeah, we have an older demographic here and all, a lot of the language that I've been using is, it might be very well rejected and, and contested by uh, uh, some of the younger fairies. Um, if you go to a gathering at some of the larger uh, locations, including Short Mountain or Wolf Creek, uh, you'll find a, a much greater diversity in gender, in uh, uh, sexual identity, um, than you would have a, 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 a couple of decades ago. Uh, and a lot of, uh, there are plenty of straight women who identify as fairies. There are some straight men who identify as fairies. There are lots and lots of trans people who are coming to gatherings. Hooray, you know, that's wonderful. Um, and it's problematic for some of the things we've been talking about. I mean, there's the, there's the difficulty of saying, okay, well, this great essentialism that 
Harry Hay talked about doesn't really work so well when we're talking about different body parts and different kind of sexualities and sexual expression. Um, and, I mean, that's a, diff you know, a difficult question, and I've, I've wrestled with it uh, a lot myself. I still think, I still believe in, in the essentialist uh, qualities that we have, and, uh, and I don't think that necessarily being uh, spiritually enlightened or, you know, kind of especially sensitive is the exclusive province necessarily of, of me and this body. Um, and there are lots of people who can have similar sensations and similar, similar perspectives and similar compassion and similar uh, feelings. So uh, I, I don't claim exclusive provenance of that. But I do think that uh, there, there is a difference in, well, I enjoy who I am as a fairy, and I think that I am blessed in that capacity to have a level of uh, awareness, perception, empathy that maybe many other people share. But I'm, and from my observation, if I were to generalize, I would say that there are a lot of people who don't or who haven't found it within themselves. Um, and maybe we need to refine our definitions a little bit. Maybe uh, we need to let them evolve a little bit. Uh, and I'm still not convinced that they're completely obsolete. Do we have more comments? Keith? Yeah, so uh, this is similar to what Giuseppe said, but I think it's worth repeating that uh, it's easy to focus on what's being expressed or at a gathering, but so much of it is listening and being passive. Uh, and that um, you know, this uh, ability to be empathetically but non-judgmentally um, uh, passive and listening uh, is a um, discipline that not many people have acquired, don't, don't have too much reason to. Um, and that's really, I think, the, the, I agree that the core of the ability and uh, very experience is the heart circle, but the heart circle requires a great capacity for listening. Do you want to respond to that? Um, I, I agree with the comment. I was going to come back to your, your question about the representation of young people, mm -hmm. which I don't, I don't know if that we got to that, but... Um, so I was kind of talking about the difference in fairy gatherings these days. Um, and there are young people who uh, go to the gatherings. Okay, so an example is that there is there's a gatherings at Short Mountain that many of you have probably been to, um, where they have six or seven hundred people show up in the typical gatherings. It's in Tennessee. Short Mountain, Tennessee. Thank you. Uh, and six or seven hundred people, and they'll have heart circles, but the heart circles will have maybe a dozen or two dozen people. So there's a, a lot less emphasis or uh, attraction to the heart circle. They still have a fantastic time, and I would argue that they still are transformed by the experience. Uh, and just by, uh, again, being able to express themselves, and maybe they're doing it in, in, on a one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, 
in a, a less structured basis than the heart circle. But it is notable to me that the heart circle is, is as represented in gatherings at Wolf Creek, at many places now, is not nearly as important. And that's a concern that I have, that because I think that the heart circle, as has been expressed, just as you expressed, the act of actively listening and witnessing 60 people or 30 people express themselves is, is a new skill. It's something we learn and we learn about ourselves. And I'm it's, afraid it's exhausting. That. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's fulfilling. I walk out of a heart circle and I feel like I just went through Yom Kippur. Mm. I mean, I feel like my body went through a fast. I feel like I had a transformative spiritual experience. And I don't need to have said a word for that to have happened. Um, Franny, in honor of your birthday, last word from the room. Uh, it's amazing. Heart circles, I'm always in there. Uh, and heart circles are, are tended to by people putting fresh water around the edges and stuff like that. You're always, there's always somebody working the edges of the circle. Before we moved to Global and the big recent gatherings of Generate, I was at uh, Heartwood with my friend here. We were, we did a talisman for that. We had the greatest time dressing up and doing things and arranging and doing all that. But one of the women at the Heart Circle thing in the Barn Temple, uh, she was crying and she, and she was crying because she was with all her gay brothers who didn't put her in that position of being a woman. Mm. She was so relieved to be in a group of friends and brothers that uh, wasn't the usual heterosexual thing. And uh, that surprised me, and I was uh, learning how to adjust with that. But, uh, the global thing, uh, I like to get there the first day early, and then I get all set up, and then I watch the gathering come together, the tents go up, and everything comes up. You're at the first heart circle, and you're laying down the circle for everybody else coming during and throughout the week. And I tell them when they arrive, we've already laid the groundwork for you. So there was this one young kid, and uh, he was just like a, like a deer in the headlights. His name was Howell, I think. Mm. But I said, hey, you're safe here. You can play, have fun. If you need help, just raise your hand and say, I need help. But uh, he was turned loose on that gathering. He hasn't stopped playing since. You know, <laughs> the, the idea that you can be told that you're safe. So I always find people who come to the gatherings and heart circles and so that you are safe here. And uh, I think that's important. Thank you. Okay, so one thing we forgot to mention, <laughs> and, and, it, and we laugh about it, but I think it was, it's worth mentioning, um, speaking of the transformative quality of, of fairy experience, is the fairy name. So could you tell us a little bit about fairy names and fairy naming? Well, fairy names are very special. Uh, they're usually something that when you go to a gathering, when, when I go to a gathering and I've got my normal name, my name is Chaz, it's always been Chaz. I'll, I'll tell you a little secret, I do have a fairy name. <laughs> um, but for most people, they go to a gathering and they discover who, what their fairy name is. And it, it's, a, it's another way of trans, it's another form of transformation. It's a way of newly identifying this new person that we've discovered, this, this larger, bigger, more colorful person that has come out, that sissy boy has been set loose. The names are often colorful or imaginative. There's something um, 
cosmic about them or something in nature about them or sometimes something funny about them. There's, there are names that just draw a laugh immediately. Right, and I'm, I'm having a memory lapse on the, the funniest ones, but... Electric Swamp Thing. I think. Electric Swamp Electric Thing. Swamp thing. <laughs> that, uh, one of the first ones I met was a fellow uh, who's passed away. His name was Rock Sand. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And, and Butterfly and Howl and uh, um, uh, Swamp Lily is one. Um, uh, oh. Moon calf. Moon calf. Yeah, remember moon calf. Cayenne, cayenne pepper. <laughs> <laughs> in the uh, early 1990s, in the early 1990s, uh, the Kinsey Six, the group that I used to perform with, um, early in our career, we performed at um, a Radical Ferry party in the Lower Haight. And that night, we, the four of us, uh, revealed our fairy names to the world. And so I think our Trixie was uh, Zirconium. Um, uh, uh, Winnie, my character, was Cow Patty. Rachel, Rachel was Mutual Fund. <laughs> and Vaselina was Stanley. <laughs> and there's a special way when we uh, identify that name, we're in the heart circle and we stand up or we say, okay, my new fairy name is Red Tetherball. And, uh, <laughs> and the whole circle, the whole room then just repeats the name three times and it's cemented in concrete forever until you change it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, uh, is there any special closing at heart circles or at gatherings or at fairy um, events that you'd like to bring in now as we close? There, there's so much more, and I, I, I like to bring in the fact that there are the idea of, with, of rituals at, at gatherings, and uh, so there's often an opening and a mid, you know, gathering or a closing ritual. Um, but uh, one of the things that we do in rituals is we sing a song, often, uh, and so I'd like to sing one of our fairy oh, dirges. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, in fact, a dirge? Well, they often sound like dirges. They're actually quite joyous. <laughs> Dear friends, queer friends, let me tell you how I'm feeling. You have given me such pleasure. I love you so. Dear friends, queer friends, let me tell you how I'm feeling. You have given me such pleasure. I love you so Let me tell you how I'm feeling. You have given me such pleasure. I love you so much. I love you so Thank you, Chaz. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a conversation with New School host Erwin Keller and Chaz Knoll. Thank you for listening to TNS, the New School at Commonweal, 
The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.